Welcome back. It is episode five of the PRL podcast. And today we're talking about uh, unwitting tools. Um, I'm your host, Roy Kirtan, and Reggie's with me again today. Hey, Reggie. Hello, hello. hello. <laughs> so you ready to talk about some tools today? <laughs> I am. It's a very interesting topic. I enjoyed like the research for my pick this week. So look forward yeah. to talking I enjoyed watching your pick. I actually just watched it. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure it was fresh. Yeah, I watched it again today also. Just to be a little bit fresher because I've watched a whole nother season since. I'm binging, man. I'm binging. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into the bingeability of that show whenever we get to it. But uh, yeah, so everybody stick around. We're going to talk about some people who end up being used by other people or I don't know it, it's you'll see we're, we're talking about unwitting tools today so all our stories are going to be about people who indirectly are used by somebody else um, the main story today we're going to talk about uh, how to raise a kraken in your bathtub by P. Jelly Clark um, so yeah so come on back and we'll get into that And we're back. So today we're talking about unwitting tools. And our main story today is How to Raise a Kraken in Your Bathtub by P. Jelly Clark. Um, It appeared in the January 2023 issue of Uncanny Magazine, issue number 50. And I actually came across it on the Uncanny Magazine podcast. It's episode 50B, and it's read by Matt Peters. Um, The story is... It's set in, I think, uh, the Victorian era is sort of a steampunk type story where um, it's sort of set in the past. And then there's this um, in, in this world, there's mer people, I guess, mermen. So people that come from the sea and um, the story follows uh, the character Trevor Hem- Hemley. Uh, he's a clerk. Uh, I don't know the the type of business, but I know that he's a clerk at a prestigious firm and he's recently married and he's sort of, you know, uh, a young guy who's on the up. He It seems like he's like um, trying to raise his station in society. And I, I'm assuming that he's a white man because of the time period and because of, you know, all the privileges that he has. Um, and then... Um, over the course of the story, uh, we learn that Trevor is, he has this get rich quick scheme. He comes across uh, a, uh, I don't know, was it an advertisement? I can't remember where he saw it. It, it was an advertisement. Yeah. Uh, it was for, where was it? Yeah, so he comes across an advertisement for a Kraken egg. And essentially, like, uh, he, buys this egg uh, that is delivered to his house and then it comes with instructions on how to raise it in his bathtub and his plan is to eventually use it sort of like as a sideshow thing but things don't quite go how he plans and he ends up you know helping the merman rise up against uh, mankind eventually Uh, so Reggie tell me what you thought about the story 
And let me ask, did you listen to it or did you read it? I'm just curious. I listened to it um, on the same podcast that you sent. And I had to listen to, I had to listen to it twice because Mm -hmm. starting off, it was a little bit slow for me. Right. But like I wanted to hold on because the the idea just seems crazy, right? Like I'm just going to raise this wild animal in my tub. So I knew like I needed to get to a certain point and that's what I was waiting on. Like, let's get there. And it ended how I wanted it to, because like you said, he already kind of had status and his wife came from a family of money. He had a good Mm -hmm. job and you could tell he was just overreaching and he kept like calling himself on what was the word ambitious yes ambitious but yeah he kept saying i'm ambitious like an ambitious man and then you're looking at him like but this is the dumbest thing you could literally try to do um so it it was very interesting story to follow along and the twist at the end made it like good job you know i'm on the animal side in every situation (laughs) job cracking even like crazy monster animals though because a kraken is like a it's a monster it's like a huge squid octopus with a beak, huge beak fight. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Kraken. Do your thing. Like, tear it up. Because like, think about, like, the in the ad, it was saying, like, Kraken, the number of Kraken was reducing because of pollution in the estuaries. Because they have to start right. off in fresh water before they can transition. Which mm-hmm. is why, like, this guy was kind of giving it to people to raise in the bathtub, start off right. in fresh water, then transition it. And it's like, like I feel a very, like, it's a an, basic animal, like, desire there to just live that I see right. with the Kraken. Like, it just wants to lay its eggs and continue generations. So, yeah, even though I know it's a huge, devastating animal, <laughs> had we not you know, polluted their natural area, they would be out in the sea. So yeah, I'm still on the cracking side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially when this guy's the other side. Exactly. I was going to say, I'm definitely not on Trevor's side. Cause even though Trevor is our point of view character, um, it's, it's like, it's his story. And we see like, um, the, we get his motivations for why he would do something so st- stupid honestly because like for one it could have just been a a hoax ad where because it was mail away right he had to send them money and then a crate arrives at his house or that's how i assume it happened i'm not sure if he actually sent money but i think that they were able to send money back then and probably wire it or something but it could have just been a scam where he could have ended up with just like a, a rock in the shape of an egg. So that was dumb, number one. And then number two, like if it's actually a Kraken, and in this world they know what Krakens are because of the the war with the mermen. So they know how devastating they can be. So why the fuck would you uh, like want to raise a Kraken in your bathtub? And it it all comes down to his ambition. And I guess him also being slightly ashamed of the fact that his wife is has a higher station than he does because they do explain that um he even actually uses the money of his wife's 
parents to pay for the Kraken egg and to pay for like taking care of it. They got their house from her parents and everything. So I think he's just sort of desperate to prove his manhood. And um, I think that was like a that was one theme of the story that you you can become an unwitting tool if you let your uh, I guess is. Uh, machismo, your uh, your ego. unhealthy masculinity, your ego, if you let that get to you, you can easily become a tool of something much worse than you realize. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think about, one of my favorite things about the story, I do agree with you, you said earlier that it starts out kind of slow. And I think that that was sort of intentional by the author to really make it feel like, you know, this real story set in that time period, that Victorian time period in, uh, in England. Uh, I don't know exactly the name of the town, but it's somewhere in England. (laughs) And then, um, um, yeah, so it starts out slow in order to make that realistic. And then once you get the, the introduction of the whole, um, the, mayor the mer people and and all that it makes it, it it's easier to um to follow it i guess like it's easier to accept it because the world already feels sort of we we can recognize what it is so i think it started out slow on purpose but then yeah once you get start once you see the egg and once it actually starts to hatch and cause trouble in his house, the story really does take off. And the mermen, they're like seven feet tall and they're, I don't think they have blue skin. I'm not, I think I just added that in my imagination, but, <laughs> uh, but they're really tall and they, they seem like pirates because the one that they explain uh, in the story has like all these tattoos and stuff. So I, I thought that was a really cool element. What, what did you think about the uh, setting of the story? I think the it was very cool to like see how they utilize, like they showed that class system from the wife, the um, the main character, and then we got to the mer people who were just like hired hands. Right. And like you were saying, the his ego led him to the point to where he's already into this mess. But then he he says it. He's like, I should just cut my losses now and mm-hmm. just like move on once it runs away. But he goes out and he hires the mer people to help him find it. Right. So there's a point. Right I'm sorry. It does say it in the instructions. If it, it is liable to run away and you should contact some mer people to help you find it. <laughs> right. And that was the first point where I'm like, ah, this is going to take a good twist. But two, <laughs> like his wife is still home. Like he hasn't sent her away yet. And there's a point where she's like staring at the physique of one of the mer people. And I'm like, yeah. he done took his wife. Like, <laughs> and he brought that into his own said, house. Right. Like all of his decisions have led to that point. And he had started isolating her and guttering her off. So I thought that was going to be the, the twist. Yeah, um, I did too. <laughs> but I was like, come on, mer people, do your thing. No. Nah. <laughs> well, they have like a history because the, the mer people went to war with uh, England in the history of this story. And so, like, yeah, like they they refer to it a lot about how uh yeah there was a war against the mer people and then um 
the actual twist towards the end of the story ties back into that because as it turns out, the <laughs> the egg actually comes from well, it, it, it's from from the the instructions uh, or the instruction manual. It's written by a doctor, P. D. Bundelkund, and then um, the uh, Trevor finds out at, at the end that Bundelkund is actually a place. And so uh, the PD is short for Prince Dakar. So it turns out that the prince of Bundukund, who is an ally of the Mer people, has been selling these uh, Kraken eggs so that the Mer people can use them to uh, essentially take over the the empire, the Queen's empire, as they refer to it. <laughs> so it's like a, a plot to you know, get revenge on the English people. So, I'm, I mean, it is it is a sad story that all these people got to die in this horrible way, like being eaten by a kraken. But it is a story about colonialism and the col- colonizers, you know, sort of losing in the end. By mm-hmm. And the enemy uses the hubris of uh, of the uh, the empire in order to take it down, which I think is the coolest part of the story. Yeah, that that's the part I really did love. Like his, he let them destroy themselves, right? With that ambition that they have to go out here and take over, like try to, like you said, colonize or dominate different cultures and species, and because so, mm-hmm. it's essentially the same thing he was trying to do with the kraken. He wanted to make it like exactly pay him. And so to see it get loose and like there's a couple of points where he sees it, the Kraken, and they're talking about the intelligence in the eyes of the Kraken. Mm -hmm. And like, I appreciated that because again, it comes back to like that idea that you can't tame and or own something whenever it has its own mind. Right. And here's what happened when you try, (laughs) like you get eaten. Like (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, very and some so. mer people have sex with your wife, and some. <laughs> <laughs> God, they, you know, they thing. like they they ran the train on her while he was out of the house. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, that was inappropriate. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Long story short, don't grow a cracking in your tub. Yeah, don't do it, man. You'll lose your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Or die. Oh, man. Um, I wanted to talk about... I guess that idea of like, because uh, I, I was saying earlier how the Kraken is a monster and you were just talking about the how he could see the humanity, the intelligence in the eyes of the Kraken. And so I wonder like the way that this story is constructed, the the monsters are, they seem to be in cahoots with the Mer people, but like are they really monsters or is it like you said, they're pushing back against these people who have polluted their environment and made their lives harder or made it impossible for them to reproduce and that kind of thing. And it calls into question of like, what does it actually mean to be a monster? I guess, especially in the Victorian period, I guess anything that wasn't white 
and male or docile to white masculinity could be seen as a monster. So the Kraken, whenever it starts out, I think it, I assume it was cute. I can't remember the detail of how they described it, but you know, a little baby Kraken was probably adorable, but as it grew up and it became more unwieldy, then it's like, oh no, like it's a, it's a challenge to the, the superiority of the main character of Trevor. Yeah. And I think like it begs that other question of like how much intelligence was it within the Kraken, right? Like how much was it thinking ahead about mm-hmm. what it was doing? And they say that it like they at the point where it's big enough and it's just about to leave the house, she was like she could hear it like mm-hmm. in the bathroom. And so it made it I'm quite sure the narration says like it had planned the step of escape. And right. so with that, I, I feel like it may not necessarily be saying I am in cahoots with these mer people, right. but whenever they find it, the mer people find it and they start feeding it to get mm-hmm. it bigger. And then it like takes over. So I feel like it was just like, you align with the thing that you believe has your best interests at heart. Right. And whenever you're you're trapped in a bathtub, like these are my two options, either the one who's feeding me and giving me more space or the one who has me trapped in the bathtub. Yeah. I'm going to align with the one who's giving me freedom and development towards where I'm going. And then I'm going to eat everybody who looks like the one I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I, that is something that I definitely came away wondering because it it did seem like maybe they were in cahoots, but yeah, maybe it was just a convenience thing, like you say. But that also that makes me think about the end end of the story. So after the the kraken is huge and it attacks the city. Um, the main character, Trevor, he seemingly disappears and everybody assumes that the merman killed him. Um, and so his wife is talking to um, Trevor's friend, uh, Barnaby, that we, you know, he talks to throughout the story. Um, and so she's telling Barnaby that she, like, they think, like, I guess everybody's talking about how um, Trevor's a traitor. No, no, no. The wife wonders if he is a traitor because she knew it turns out she confesses that she knew that it was something weird in the bathtub, but she just sort of convinced herself that it was a dog or something like that. But she had a feeling that it was something weirder. And so she starts wondering, like, was it uh, um, like maybe he was a traitor for the, the mer people? And then all of the evidence gets like burned and destroyed. And so it, it made me think about like his wife. She's sort of like she she did a she's not against them she's like his ally in the story but the fact that she allowed him to do something stupid whenever it was very suspicious and weird it seems like even she was in cahoots with the mer people <laughs> because it was like it's 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 another indictment of the 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 time period, right? Because she's a wife and she doesn't want to insult her husband or she knows her place. She's not going to speak up and say like, this is probably stupid. And she probably could have saved his life. Maybe he wouldn't have listened to her, but just the fact that she didn't say anything at all, like it just seems like 
it was impossible for them to resist the, this plan from the Mer people, honestly. And to me, it seems like, again, that that subordinate culture, like the women, like you said, wouldn't necessarily speak up. And that's what it seemed like. Like he did everything he could to keep her out of the bathroom, lock the door. And whenever she did bring up things that bothered her, he just like shut her down. Tell him you have a husband who works hard. Like it, it was mm-hmm. just she wasn't given any space to even try because of his ego, his, I'm, I'm like the leader here. And so, yeah, it, it, I think it was his own undoing. Like she, like you said, had she said something, he wouldn't have listened to her. So right. it just doesn't seem like she like was necessarily on either side. But then, like you said, when we get to the end, it was like, she's looking at the, information she has in front of her like all these cracking popping up everywhere and she's now kind of putting together what ran by her so she's just wondering was he a traitor (laughs) because he seemed to be willingly a part of this and now he's disappeared so Mm -hmm. i mean i see how that could kind of be the question so i mean it's it's terrible (laughs) that he literally like there's just so many groups that he was oppressing that he wasn't getting any exactly. valid like, feedback or help for a better choice, a better option. Right. Almost like that uh, emperor with no clothes story. Like nobody wants to tell him that you're a fucking idiot. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, the only other thing I wanted to say is that I really want to, I want to crack an egg, man. I don't want to hatch it. I just want to put it on my shelf. It seemed like it was beautiful, man. It had like these scales and stuff. It seemed cooler than a dragon egg. (laughs) I can, I can see that, (laughs) that, but you can keep it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to hatch it. I'm not going to put it in water and all that stuff. I'm going to keep it in the driest (laughs) place possible. (laughs) <laughs> and I just, you know, yeah, just a bad idea. <laughs> all right, all right. Good that thing seems it, inhumane, that, right? Well, I mean, like if you just get a regular chicken egg, that's like you know, you don't, you just like paint it nice and put it in your living room. That's not inhumane. <laughs> I know nobody does that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought this was a thing I was missing out on. Well, for, just for stuff. Easter, but I don't know. It's, if it's like a, a, you know, an unfertilized Kraken egg, I'll, I'll take that one for display. Okay. <laughs> that, that's a more viable solution. I'll, I'll, I can get along with that. <laughs> <laughs> now I just got to find a Kraken that's laying unfertilized eggs and we are in business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that on your mantle now. <laughs> all right i guess uh so um yeah that that does it check out that story if you if you can um you can i actually found it i, I listened to it multiple times on uh on the uncanny magazine podcast again it's episode 50b and uh, i actually found it on the internet on the uncanny magazine website uh so they have it there if you prefer to read it but I enjoyed the the guy that read it. He had a good reading voice. Yeah. So we'll 
Yeah. So we'll be right back and uh, we'll uh, hop into our next unwitting tool and it'll be, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start with Reggie's pick this week. So come on back. Welcome back to the Unwitting Tool. It's Reggie. My pick this week comes from the USA Network show Psych that ran from 2006 and they actually released the third movie in 2021. So they're still kind of milking this idea of our Psych characters. And I appreciate it because I've been, you know, binging it and it's some good storylines. It's funny along the way. So my specific pick is from season four. There is a an episode called Let's Get Harry. So the characters, Sean and Gus, are like chilling in their office. And a guy comes in and he's like, I need you to chain me up and watch me tonight. And they're like, that's weird. And he's like, well, I think <laughs> he's like, I think I'm a lichen. And he's like some moss. And he's like, no, a lycanthrope. So he thinks he's a werewolf. And far-fetched idea. But as we go through it with the antics of Sean and Gus, we find like this funny story of how this guy's like in the middle of the night, he blacks out. And he ends up somewhere naked and he starts off with a dead sheep or lamb. And then I think a deer or something. And then we start seeing people. So as we go through, we've realized like he's being seen by a psychiatrist. He's on medication. He believes in like werewolves and vampires and that type of stuff. And so he's in this, I'm not going to call it a cult, this group of people who, who, um, who, who pay attention to that type of stuff, who believe that type of stuff. I guess. He called it like a rhombus oh. of sh- of shaman. So uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but as the story goes on, like we get all of these clues that are like set up to really make us believe that this guy, Stuart, is a werewolf. But what happens, we finally get to the point to where we realize like the psychiatrist that he's seeing has switched out his medicine. And because he had an affair with one of his clients, he has this elaborate plan on how elaborate. he's going to, <laughs> elaborate plan on how he's going to kill the girl and um, set someone else up for it. I picked the story because I like it in contrast to the Kraken story and then your pick because we actually end up with like sympathy for the character who is being used as the unwitting tool, which we don't right. see in the uh, the Kraken story. Um, do you did you get a chance to watch the episode? I did. Yeah, I did. And I have to say that uh, 
probably like 2012, I binged. So I used to binge psych over and over and over again because it was just it's the kind of show that you can put on in the background while you're doing other stuff. So I used to put it on while I was writing or to fall asleep. So I had I've seen it at least three times. (laughs) But yeah, I did rewatch it because it's been years. It's been uh, a a decade now where I'm so old. It's been uh, like 10 years since I've seen it. But I did I did watch it. Like, do you with that idea, like the unwitting tool, like, did you end up with that feeling of sympathy for Stuart, the guy who's going through it? Yeah. And that's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, when I was watching it, it was like, uh, like I, I knew that it wasn't like he wasn't a werewolf, but they did a good job at making you think like, well, maybe this motherfucker is turning into a wolf. Like, I don't know. But at, from the start, you, I didn't believe it. And so I was like, yeah, to watch, uh, which one uh, is the psychic? Uh, Sean is the psychic. Sean. Yeah. So mm-hmm. once he like is figuring it out and he knows that like, yeah, we had, we just have to prove that this guy, like something weird is happening to him. So I definitely felt uh, sympathy for him because the doctor is a huge douchebag. Like, <laughs> He switched his dude's medicine and he was framing him for murder and stuff. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) the craziest part to me, though, he buys, like, a wolf pelt (laughs) so that he can put Mm. the wolf pelt on the dude so that he'll have the wolf fur and, like, make him think he's seen a wolf whenever he got attacked. So it's like, you really did a lot of planning. Does it? He uses it too to like maul the body. So like the, the whenever um, the whenever he frames him, he like uses the claws from the pelt to like fuck up the bodies. And so it's like this dude is insane, <laughs> right? And like I love like there is a line where the girl who he was trying to kill, like in that that final wrap up, she's like, "You're the most insane out of all of us." Right. And I feel like it wraps it up so well because mm-hmm. like to really util- use somebody like that and um just to kind of cover yourself and like make them think they're crazy. And I feel like, like that's the worst. That's one of the scariest things to me. Like that yeah. understanding of being gaslit by a medical professional who's like yes. he wrote in his chart, like he's starting to. All of this stuff about how he's um, can't be trusted and all of right, you know. very aggressive so like, and all that. Yeah, and then told the cops that, and so like it's just the thought of being that guy in that place where like I can't account for what I was doing in this time frame, right? Yeah, and I just have to go along with what seems to be the most logical conclusion. Well, it wasn't the most logical conclusion. It but... was not, but. <laughs> <laughs> it was not logical at all, but I mean, it was a good plan if it had worked, but because if you look at it, it's logical isn't the wrong word, but because Stewart had the belief system, it made it easy for the doctor to lead him to that conclusion. So yeah, it's mm. not logical overall, but it was because of Stewart's like um like I said belief system, he was easily able to be walked to the point to say, I did it because I'm the werewolf, right? Because he believed right. in that type of stuff. 
And I think that's what made him like such an easy mark. Right. And the tool in the end, like, because <laughs> he shared that he believed that stuff and the doctor used it for his own benefit. Yeah, if you compare him to uh, Trevor from the Kraken story, like we don't have sympathy for him because he's making mistakes and like fucking up his own life pretty much. But this guy, I can't remember the character's name. He's like, he seems like a very earnest guy. Like he's in, he seeks uh, psychological help. And so like he doesn't deserve to be used in the way that he is by somebody that he trusts so it's yeah of course you end up feeling like yeah this poor poor sap man (laughs) right right then like there's like because like he thinks his uh he said he's like his grandfather was a um i can't remember a demon yeah (laughs) demon something and so some kind of demon you feel like you want to feel less for him because it's like you're really believing in the craziest stuff. But then mm-hmm. even though it's like you, like you said, you don't deserve to it, whatever it be, whatever your beliefs to be used against you in that way. And so as I follow the story and like you see all the other characters, like his sister um, is the one that mm-hmm. works with him at the shop. Alex Mack. And, Alex Mack. For you remember that Nickelodeon show? Was it Alex Mack the one that that could turn into liquid for no good reason? <laughs> that show from the nineties. <laughs> I don't know. That's I maybe that... you were too young for it. The actress, yeah, because I was watching it the whole episode. I'm like, who is she? She looks so familiar, and I think she was Alex Mack. Maybe I have the wrong uh, show. Uh, I'm totally Googling that later because it seems like something I should know if <laughs> it's a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. The Secret World of Alex Mack. It came on in the in in the nineties, ninety-four to ninety-eight. She played the the werewolf guy's sister. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I remember random stuff. I just she, you got she me looks so familiar, and I like the whole episode. I was like, "Where do I know her from?" So it, it finally clicked. But I'm sorry, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. But overall, like, um, I feel like it really does fit. Like you said, the unwitting tool, um, very well. But then we get it so like uh, like we get the like the psych envelope for the delivery. Yeah, and, right, like, right. That's right. my favorite part. Like, there's just so much um, that makes the show good. And then to have kind of these different tropes that we see in other literary works being worked in to really sustain it. I see why it's lasted. I think they did eight seasons, three movies. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Like, it totally makes sense. I was, uh, when I was watching that, I was thinking about how, like, the whole premise that he's a psychic, that Sean is a psychic, like it gets very flimsy the longer the show goes on. Cause it's like, it makes me wonder, like, do they really still think he's a psychic or do they know that he's like just a really good investigator and he's going to the same places that they're going usually before they get there and that kind of thing. Cause it, it just seemed like 
like a lazy explanation at the end whenever he puts on the pelt and then he starts using his psychic abilities. Like it just seemed like I don't know, like maybe they just don't want to say it out loud that they don't know that they know he's not a psychic. And I can't remember how it wraps up because it's been so long since I watched it. But do you know, like, do they actually ever say, like, we know you're not a psychic, but you're a damn good investigator? (laughs) Right. I'm on season six now. So far, no. Mm. Like, Lassiter is the closest one to being like, I know you're not a psychic. Yeah. And then like, there are like different episodes where like the other supporting characters kind of say it. Like mm. there's one where he finally, like he catches a guy who killed some, it was an ambassador's aide or something like that. And so the aide is like, I know how you know. And he's like, so you pleading guilty? Like it was in a point where he couldn't tell anybody. So it's a right. lot of those moments where it's like, there people know i think they yeah. just like you're just doing so good at what you're yeah he's very you got good going at it. on yeah i don't even care like <laughs> <laughs> but, and then the one more thing i wanted to say is that like gus and sean are like really cool best friends like i want a best friend like either gus or sean because they like finish each other's sentences and they have these dumb jokes and stuff like that it reminds me a lot of the the scrubs dudes um i can't remember the characters names but the actors are like best friends in real life and so when i was watching it i was like oh they're they're trying to be as cool as those guys (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i think that's one of the best examples of like that friendship because they're going through stuff and you know Gus Mm -hmm. is just like i'm over you because he's like funneling all this money into this business. Yeah. Um, he gets fired, it seems like, every few episodes from his real job <laughs> because of Sean. So it's like, yeah. you know, they're really like working through it. But there's one part <laughs> where they're singing. I don't know why they do it. And it was like, ah. Uh... One of them took the high and one took the low and they like <laughs> climbed up in harmony. I was like, why? Like it was so random. But it was on it was on point. Like it was on pitch. It was just, <laughs> it's just funny. Like that you would even think about something like this to to kind of put it in there. But then there is that episode where Gus was a part of the group in college. The, oh, the, I haven't uh, watched it. I mean, I've seen it, but I didn't watch it. I, I, I saw Kanan was in it. That's why I wanted to watch yeah. it. Yeah. It was Kanan and then uh, the dude from um, Steve Urkel, Jaleel White. Like, it's just funny. Oh, yeah. And then they start singing. It was great. I'm surprised at how well, all, how good all their voices were. But again, the show, they could do anything with that package, and I'm I'm in. <laughs> so uh, yeah, probably going to lose two more weeks binging the rest of this stuff and trying to watch <laughs> and the movies and everything yeah i watched the first movie last night <laughs> <laughs> you watched it in chronology and the story i was trying to yeah it seems like i was off by a season but i did try and that's the saddest part <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that is psych uh, the episode was from season four. Uh, Let's get Harry. Just an, another way of looking at that unwitting tool character. So if you have a chance, um, since the USA show, it is on Peacock. I'm sure you can find it in other places. And come back for our Roy's pick for unwitting tool.
All right. Uh, so for my unwitting tool uh, story, I chose The Gospel According to Mark by Jorge Luis Borges. Um, so it was originally, it was published in The New Yorker uh, on October 23rd, 1971. And it was originally published in 1970 um, in a book that I cannot pronounce because my Spanish isn't great. Uh, but it, I came across the story because I, I, I used to read The New Yorker, but uh, I, of course I didn't have a 1971 issue, but uh, there's a New Yorker fiction podcast where they have uh, famous writers read their favorite stories from, uh, from The New Yorker. And so Paul Thoreau, um, I'm not familiar with who Paul Thoreau is. I'm not going to lie, but he <laughs> he read uh, this story, the Gospel According to Mark by Borges, and uh, on the October eight two thousand seven uh, episode. I don't think that they have episode numbers, but I, I can't remember honestly. But uh, I definitely highly recommend you check it out. It is a very short listen, but. Uh, Borges is a master of the short form. Uh, so basically the story follows uh, a man named Baltazar Espinoza. I think he's 33 in the story. And uh, it's about his cousin invites him uh, out to a farm to just, I guess, stay for a little bit. The story's set in um, in Argentina. Um, I don't can't remember the name of the city, but so his cousin invites him out to the farm just to stay for a little while. And the farm is maintained by the Gutre family. Uh, and so Espinoza spends a lot of time with the Gutre family because his cousin ends up like going out on like a trip or something like that. So um, Espinoza is sort of like a, a city guy and um, he sort of... Um, I guess he's not, he's weirded out, I want to say, by the Gutre family, because <laughs> they're like these um, uh, very rural people, and they're indigenous from the way that they're described, and so they're different than than him, because he's sort of like the city guy, and they're country folk, essentially. Um, and so he, um, they're illiterate as well. So, uh, like whenever they, after they have meals together, he eventually starts to read stories to them. And so there's not very many books in the house. So he ends up reading the Bible and the Gutre family has never read the Bible before. So the, whenever he starts reading it, it's the first time they're ever introduced to it. And so I think he randomly flips open to the gospel according to Mark and he's reading, um, about, uh, you know, what happens in that book, which I assume is, includes the crucifixion of Jesus where they explain that story. Um, and so, um, by the end of the story, like, so there's, there's also a, there's a flood that happens and then um, it like crashes the roof of like one of their service buildings behind the house or something. I can't remember the name of the building, but it was like a stable or something like that. Um, and so um, the Gutre family, they, they, they tell uh, Espinosa about it. And he's like, well, you know, I can't do anything. So <laughs> you can build it back whenever. He doesn't really care. <laughs> uh, so the uh, at one point, like towards the, the end of the story, the I think the father of the Gutre family asks um, Espinosa uh, if 
uh, if I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it was something like, did, uh, did Jesus or did God die for, so that everybody could be saved or something like that. And Espinoza says, you know, yeah, that's what, that's the understanding of the story. Like by him dying, he sacrificed himself to save all mankind. And so, um, uh, at the end of the story, the Gutre family uses the the wood beams from the the stable or from the the building that where that gets destroyed in the flood to make a crucifix, and they drag Espinoza to the crucifix, presumably to crucif to crucify him, and that's where the story ends. And so I chose this story because I feel like. I, th I think there's more than one unwitting tool in the story. And so I just sort of wanted to talk it out in order to figure out what your thoughts are. Like, so for, from my perspective, depending on how you view religion, either the Gutre family are tools of the devil and tools of evil that are sent to punish uh, Espinoza for, you know, just being a general douchebag and then for, I think he has sex with the younger Gutre daughter in the story. And so it seems like they're, they're being used to judge and to execute Espinoza. But then there, I think there's another reading of the story where um, the tool is Espinoza himself. <clears throat> He's sent there in order to be a test for the Gutre family that, we don't like maybe maybe the Gutre family is doing the the good work of God, <laughs> depending on how you view you know the the righteous vengeance of God or whatever. So I wonder, Reggie, what do you think? Like, who do you think is the tool in the story? When I listen to it, I like in my perspective, um. Espinoza was always the tool. And I felt like that because as he is reading those stories to them from the Bible, there's a point where it seems like they're like, it says they're following him around the house and they're like right. cleaning up after him. So it seems like because he presents religion the way that he did, it created this understanding at the goof Gutre family, that he was somebody to be worshipped. And right. then whenever we get to the end, like they ask him, like he said, so Jesus died um, to for the sins of everybody else. And then they ask, like, so does that mean that the ones who pinned him to the cross will go to heaven too? And oh, Gutre right. is yes. like, yeah. So it was it wasn't till he said that that he got dragged out back and presumably hung on the cross and that's where i felt like i thought espinoza was the tool of religion and mm. because he put himself in the position to be looked up to the way that they did he ultimately was sacrificed because of the understanding that they had gained about religion. And right. that's just the way that I saw it. I didn't even think about the Gutre family in the sense of the unwitting tool because they were just following along with what they were being given um, throughout the story. 
I, I just, I, I absolutely understand your reading of it because the first time I heard it, that was definitely my thought. But I've listened to the stories so many times because I'm a huge Borges fan and I feel like his stories are really layered. And I think one thing that presented itself later that I don't think I really picked up on was the scene with the daughter. Cause I, even if, whenever you read it and I, I, we should say that this is a translated story as well. So if maybe if we were reading it in Spanish, our perceptions of it would be even more different than, than, um, than what they are now. But I know, I think that this uh, translation of it was done in consultation with Borges. So he mm-hmm. sort of helped to, choose, cause he did speak English. I just don't think he was a, he wasn't a translator. So he, you know, trusted other people to do that. Um, but so to me, like there's a lot of ambiguity with that scene that happens with the, the Gutre daughter. So uh, it's after the flood and uh, Espinosa's in his room and he hears, it's just in the dark, he hears a knock at his door and then the girl comes in and she gets in the bed and the way that the narration describes it, they say that it's the first time she's ever lain with a man. So that could mean that they had sex and it does seem like they had sex. Like the way that, I can't remember it. There was something else that made me assume that they had had sex, but it, it was such an understated scene that it was something that I glossed over. And so it seemed like whenever I, was, I saw it from that that lens, it was like, so, oh, well, maybe Espinosa's being tested. Like maybe the Gutres are being are put there specifically in order to see how good of a man Espinosa is. So like he he's good enough to give them religion, but he's not good enough to sort of sort it out and help them understand it. Uh, he's good enough to be like followed around and and seen as this like very this guy deserving of worship, but he's not he's not above the temptation of having sex with the with the the Gutre daughter so it's like he has he's presented with these trials and he just constantly fails and that results in him being crucified and so I I viewed the the Gutres as sort of they're the tool of this religion to as the test for this man who is he's he's not the tool so much as he's he's the tested like he's the one that we're trying to see how good of a man he is but that's definitely one reading of it. I don't think that's the only way to read it. Yeah, I definitely want to like read it as opposed to like yeah. listen to it. And then you have that commentary that came along with it right after. So oh, I definitely right. want to yeah. read it because I agree. Like I can see like that, that um, interpretation of it. And because I, that scene with the daughter, I was it seemed like an out of place um, mm-hmm. detail, and so mm-hmm. it makes sense that there is it should it carries a weight that I might have missed in the overall like story. So I really do look forward to like rereading it because it sounded like to me, I thought it was a part of that worship situation. Like, okay, you can have the daughter because you are this person and oh. and with that level but right. so maybe they right sent at, her that's what i thought because at, oh, the, at that scene yeah. she's like he's like she gets up she doesn't um 
She doesn't. But she say doesn't. Uh, yeah, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't look him in the eye. She doesn't kiss him. Like it was that part right. that kind of stood out to to me. But then later on, whenever they're dragging him outside, like she's crying. Right. Right. And so it's like there's something there to interpret that I think I might have missed because I just thought it was like, "You're a great man. Here's my daughter." I like, just thought that's what it was. But that I think that's that's what's so good about Boris as a writer because he's he's a, he was also a poet, and I feel like his his short fiction functions sort of poetically. Where whenever you read a poem. That two people aren't going to have the same opinions necessarily. Yeah, there are going to be certain people who can see certain things in it, and maybe that'll line up with the next person. But generally, a poem is very much open to interpretation. S- stories, narratives generally are not open to interpretation. Like, yeah, like sometimes you can debate the way certain things happen or what the the point of them were. But generally, a story has very concrete points that it's trying to to make. But I feel like with this story, I can't say that I quite 100% understand what Borges' point is with the story. Do you think it's a critique on religion or is it a critique on the people who, like you said, posture themselves as like, oh, well, I am knowledgeable and I dictate down to you because it could be either way. So it's a very like, and I don't think that Borges really comes down on either side, but what do you think? Whenever I listened to it, I was comparing it to Sorrowland as soon as I read it because we did Sorrowland last week. And Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a parallel there because Sherman, right? Like he's given this young daughter of the congregation who are just following blindly with him, what he's saying. Right. And mm-hmm. that, so my mind might've just been in that space, right? It's a critique on religion and um, those people who put themselves in power and the people who follow them blindly. And so that's just, that's where I was. So i this other interpretation, I can see that one too. Once I get my head out of everything I was on with Sorrowland, so yeah, I think I'm gonna take a week or two and then listen again or read it again. <laughs> I mean, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to imply that you were reading it wrong because I mean that was absolutely my reading of it the first time, the first maybe ten times that I listened through it because I just thought like, oh yeah. Borges knows why religion's fucked up, and this is a good example of it. <laughs> but I just, I, whenever I really like listen to the details, it was like, oh well, I don't think that it's just uh, straightforward. Like Christianity is bad. I think that there's something about the setting of the story, the intimacy of it, that leaves a lot open. Because if you think about it, if he he. I wonder if he had read them a different story. Like, let's say he had read um, Gulliver's Travels or something like that, (laughs) whatever was out at the time. I think this story takes place in like the 30s or something like that. So like, maybe that they could have heard a different story and misinterpreted it and then, you know, murdered a bunch of people or something like, who knows? So like, is it a, is it a, um, a, uh, criticism. I don't want to say criticism, but is it like a an indictment of those 
the the people who aren't exposed to it or is it just like that you shouldn't expose them to things like it, it's hard to know exactly what the point of it is because it just seemed like a complete chance that he ended up reading them the bible and then specifically the crucifixion because he just sort of flips open to it I, he doesn't intend to tell that story so i just it it makes whenever i really overanalyze that it, is it's questions like that that make me think like yeah i wonder if they had if he had read psalms what that would have looked like and then, <laughs> and then it could have been it would have made the bible and christianity look a lot better if, if it was you know had happened with a different passage there was, I remember earlier in the story, Borges provided the detail that Espinosa wasn't religious. He just, right. he said the prayers his mama, his mama told him to say. And like, they made sure they said, like, he wasn't a religious person. And then it's like, when we get into the, the context of him being with the Gutres, for some reason to me, it seemed like it, it it switched like it seemed like he was much more a religious authority even though we know he it wasn't his goal it wasn't the thing right. he set out to do and that's why it's so easy for me to like question the interpretation because that detail was given to us earlier for a reason like because mm -hmm. i don't think he was trying to be their savior he wasn't he trying wasn't. to be their leader. It he just, just accepted the invitation from his cousin, right? Yeah, that's the, mm -hmm. he ended up there by chance. Like everything just sort of happened. And then, like you said, maybe it was just reading the Bible and seeing how into it they were. It made it changed his sort of attitude. Like, oh, maybe I can, you know, preach to these people. <laughs> <laughs> But then is that his fault or is it their fault for treating him that way? Like, did they give him that hubris to like make him think? Because like you said, they were following him around after he read to them and they were cleaning up. Out. He didn't ask them to do that. Right. But I mean, even like they provide that detail saying that it was weird to him that they were yeah. following him around. So I don't think there was ever a point where he would like switch flips and says, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm okay with it. It's just like it kept happening and escalating. And then, yeah. yeah, like it just kept escalating and he didn't run fast enough. Like, that's what it <laughs> seemed like. You did not run fast enough because ultimately you were going, you were going to get to that point. Just based off on how we look at religion, like in the world, it gets to that point way too often where somebody is mistakenly put onto a pedestal and made to carry a burden that they were never trying to carry. And right. then they end up having to go to the cross for <laughs> somebody right. else understanding of what religion was. And I feel like that happens a lot. And that what I thought um, Borges like underlying conversation was. Um, but again, like you said, he is very good at the short story form and giving you a lot to think about in a that lot. short story. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much for listening to it. I, I love Borges and it's always cool to talk to people about it. So I'm definitely going to have more Borges stories <laughs> coming up in the future. I look forward to it. I'm re I actually want to see if I can find them original. It might take me a while to translate them and read them, but I want to read them in oh. the original language. Like oh, it okay. would be interesting. 
I'll keep an eye out. If I see any, I'll definitely buy them and pass them along. Sounds good. All right, guys, come on back. We'll wrap it up. All right, so I thought that was it. That was a uh, a nice discussion. Anytime I get to talk about Borges, I'm very happy. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Like for some reason, like I remember his name, like because we've talked about him before. So yeah, this was all the, the first time. time, like I, yeah, like I knew <laughs> his name, and I'm like, I don't know any authors' names. <laughs> so, like it made me happy to be able to read one of his stories and like this conversation is definitely helpful because it challenges the way I read stories and or take in stories so I appreciate everyone I appreciate the other point of view because it's it's not it's a story that I read like after college so I've never had the opportunity to like talk about it with other people so awesome and I don't um P. Jelly Clark which every time I say his name, I think about peanut butter and jelly, but <laughs> I wonder if that's why he chose that name, but he's a, he's a really good, well, I mean, I really enjoyed this story and I want to look into some of his other novels because he has a short novel called uh, Ring Shout, I think, that I think I have it, I'm going to listen to it on my uh, library app, and then he has another story, I can't remember the name of it, so he's a really good uh, writer too. Yeah, like I, I think that episode you sent me had an interview with him. After yes, that's the cool so, thing about Uncanny yeah. Magazine podcast and the New Yorker Fiction podcast because uh, they on the Uncanny Magazine they talk to the writers on uh, the New Yorker podcast they talk to the professional writers who are reading the story so you get sort of a little bit of analysis with it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it listening to P. Peanut Butter and Jelly Clark um, <laughs> <laughs> because he broke it down like how he developed the story and like that really did make it much more like it made me appreciate the story more um, after listening to it so those are good ways to take in these stories because you get like like if you just go buy a book you don't get to hear what the author's thought process was so absolutely yeah podcasts are great <laughs> yeah it's an awesome way to get introduced to new writers huh. and now i gotta go start watching psych you got me back hooked on it i just they're just so comforting to watch <laughs> it's like watching the simpsons for me and that's saying something right right it's definitely a comfort piece last week was final so i was stressing out and that's how i ended up like i'm gonna let this ride like i'm gonna ride through these but then it worked out well with the choice for this week so so don't be a tool guys keep your nose clean and your head up I don't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you uh, yeah you should check out uh, my uh, blog it's the PRL Serials blog uh, or you can check out the other blog, the Encyclopedia of the Known Universe. Uh, you should definitely like and subscribe and share this episode and all our other episodes with your friends. And uh, thank you, Reggie. This is, I hope, uh, maybe soon, you know, I get, maybe this is a permanent thing. 
you uh, every time I have a podcast episode, I want you to come on. It's always awesome conversation. I appreciate you having me and <laughs> taking the perspective and challenging my perspective. That's the best part about art, right? Like being able to challenge your thought process. So I appreciate being here and I look forward to the next episode. Uh, yeah, guys, come on back. We'll be back soon. <laughs>